Darkness is not an affirmative force. It simply reoccupies the space vacated by the light. This is the Hamilton Corner on American Family Radio. It should be uncomfortable for a believer to live as a hypocrite. Delivering people out of the bondage of mainstream media. And the philosophies of this world. God has called you and me to be his ambassadors. Even in this dark moment. Let's not miss our moment. And now, the Hamilton Corner. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Hamilton Corner here on American Family Radio. I'm your host. Abraham Hamilton III, and I'm joined by the corner contingent right across from me, my man, 100 grand, Mr. Bobby Rosa. Yes, 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 yes. And in the screening room, we have none other than the producer of this program, extraordinaire, the real Jay Mack, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Then I clap it for me to clap it for Jay Mack. <laughs> And we're ready to rock and roll with today's edition of the program. I'm trying to get all my controls set up as we get ready to rock and roll. At this very moment, many of you, if not most of you, are making that transition from your part-time jobs where you generate an income to your full-time jobs. Your full-time jobs are where you cultivate an outcome. And as you make that transition, I want to remind you what I do on a regular basis. That what goes on in your house is far more important, far more important than what goes on in the White House. Even the White House that's presiding over pretty significant train derailments all across the country. Massive, and you would think in this, in, in, in this current con- context to where environmental concerns are, are at the to quote, to quote Colin Jean-Pierre, top of mind for many people, of top of mind. But it's interesting how remarkably incurious much of our legacy media apparatus in our nation is about what's going on with these things across the country. And then you have the phenomenon, and I, you know, there's several things that I'm just <laughs> endeavoring to wrap my mind around because on one hand, you let a, Chinese spy balloon giving new meaning to the term Chinese inflation. <laughs> you allow it to just float. And you're almost like I hear the Snoopy music in my head, you know, wah, 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 like all across the country. You know, silos, you know, heavy arsenal. But we got to let it get over the water. Right. Then you have additional aerial objects. That we zap immediately. But we don't seem to have much being discussed publicly from this current White House. That being said, what goes on in your house is still more important than that. We don't want to allow those things to cause us to cause us to gaze longingly and we neglect our home. The first institution that God created was the family. Don't allow the things happening around you to cause you to neglect your home. I know it's much easier to say, but it's important that we understand, first, understand intellectually the primacy that God places on family. Not, and this is not my opinion merely. The scripture unfolds the primacy that God places on family. 
the Lord's position on the matter should govern, should guide, and it should inform the way you and I engage the matter. So as you are transitioning from your part-time jobs, I want to encourage you to do so with full intentionality, understanding that what goes on in your house is far more important than what goes on in the White House. This is an opportunity at ground level to transform our homes into the first outlet, the first context. And when I say first, I don't mean it in terms of chronology. I mean it in terms of priority. The first context where we seek to exalt our king and execute his commission, exalt our king by executing his commission. Praise God. Well, I mean, I have to tell you what an amazing time we had in in Plano uh, with the North Dallas Community Bible Fellowship family. Uh, I I told them when I got there, man, I'm feeling like I've been there so frequently lately. I feel like I'm just, that's another outlet of home. You know, and I was uh, going around with Pastor Dames, uh, the, the pastor there, and he said, Abe, I can't introduce you to anybody because it seems like you know everybody already. <laughs> uh, but I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that thoroughly. Uh, we we uh, walked through the Lord's word and discussed the whole cry of Maranatha, a whole cry of Maranatha. I had a pleasure of meeting some people there who I had not yet met. Uh, beautiful brother and sister gave me a, a set of tracks presented with an optical illusion. <laughs> Uh, but praise God for the family of God. It was a pleasure being there. Uh, and Lord willing, I will be back in um, Plano this fall for their Disciple Life Conference. But we'll get to that later on in the year. Let's go to the Word of God. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to begin the program. Uh, if you're new to the program, we begin every show in the first segment by turning to the Word of the Lord. I, I uh, remember reading Psalm 70, 73 for the first time. I said, man, Lord, this is so true. How the psalmist was uh, talking about how life was overwhelming him at different points. And it was not until the psalmist entered into the house of the Lord that he began to think properly. And so before we endeavor to address the issues of the day, we want to make sure we have our hearts and minds lined out according to Scripture. In Matthew chapter 5, we have uh, Matthew recording what's called the Sermon on the Mount, the longest recorded sermon of Jesus in Scripture. And you have Matthew, the former uh, Roman tax collector, you know, who would have been scorned. He's a Jew himself, but allied himself with the Romans, who would have found himself scorned as a result of doing so. But the Lord saw fit to not only uh, regenerate him, but to make him one of his disciples. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, this is what the scripture says. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Or some translations say they shall be satisfied. Often in our 
contemporary culture, we misunderstand meekness and confuse it for weakness. You know, I remember discussing this phenomenon with my son a long time ago, my oldest son in particular. When I would say, son, meekness is not weakness. It's strength under control. Meekness is not an absence of strength. Meekness is not void of the capacity for strength. It is strength under control. And then Jesus goes on to proclaim something that has stirred me and the Lord has used to draw me for years and continues to draw me now. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. The latter part of that verse reveals the fact that the hungering and thirsting that Jesus offers a promise that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. When I say that it has drawn me in the past and continues to draw me, I, I often ask the Lord, and this is not about me, but I'm just, I'm just, I'm hoping to share with you how the Lord has ministered to me through this. And um, I think this will aid us in our conversation as we go forward in the program. This scripture has provoked me to ask, to welcome the Spirit of God to, in, to query me from the inside. Lord, am I hungering and thirsting for righteousness? If the true answer to that question is no, then the next question is, well, what am I hungering and thirsting for? Because the scripture says, if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we shall be filled. Do you realize that that's a promise from God? You have Yeshua, the anointed one, the Messiah, himself saying, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you shall be satisfied, you shall be filled. That is a promise. Too often, especially in our day and age where we have lots of distractions, we have lots of uh, investments, engagements, um, we have lots of pursuits. It's very easy to be distracted and pulled away from hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of God. There is no expiration date on this promise. There also is no time stamp on the promise. I would ask the body of Christ in our country today, are we hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Or, as when Jesus taught the parable of the soils, have we become so consumed by the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust for other things that it has that those things have cut in on our hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You know, I I'm gonna say some things now, and I don't mean this from a condemnatory sense, but I just really truly offer it as as a barometer, as as considerations to make into when what we are hungering and thirsting for. You know, are we more eagerly present and attendant to the Super Bowl, you know, than we are for the righteousness of God? You know, have we allowed things like soccer games and basketball games, football, travel, baseball, whatever you want to call it, to begin to rival our commitment to the Lord? 
do we do we have an eager anticipation in our hearts when we have the privilege and opportunity to gather with the Lord's saints for worship? Are we a viable component of the gathering of the saints? Do you realize that if you are a member of the Lord's eternal family, it should be impossible for you to, quote, unquote, go to church? Do we realize that? The Lord said that we are to be the church. If we are to be the church, how could we go to church? I've, I've described and I mentioned this part Sunday when the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. That's described as um, a psalm of ascents, right? So in the Old Testament, uh, the Hebrew scripture, the Lord instructed the tribes of Israel to make their journeys to Jerusalem at, at specific points in the year. Every tribe had to make that journey, and they were coming to Jerusalem for worship. But psalms of ascent were sang en route to Jerusalem. These, this is worshiping that's transpiring en route to the place where the worshipers were to gather. Our Lord's Day meetings should be the gathering of worshipers, where we are gathering to do collectively what we do on a daily and regular basis individually. Or have we allowed the gathering of the saints to replace the gathering of the saints for worship? Have we allowed that to replace our personal commitment and investment for worship, in worship? I don't know every single person. I have not been in every church in our nation. But I believe if we were to have an honest evaluation, and I don't mean this, and I'm not trying to paint with a broad brush, but by and large, I think the honest answer for many in our nation is that we are not hungering and thirsting for, for his righteousness. But here's the beautiful thing. If that happens to be the reality now, if that happens to be the case now, thank God for his grace and his mercy that it does not have to continue to be the case. If you, in evaluating yourself, and you're listening to me now, and you're asking yourself, am I hungering and thirsting for his righteousness? And if the answer to that is no today, you have an opportunity right now to humble yourself and say, Lord, forgive me. And will you now give me that hunger and thirsting for your righteousness? Shining light into the darkness. This is the Hamilton Corner on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the Hamilton Corner. Abraham Hamilton III here. Man, I'm excited to have this brother join me on the program. I want to welcome to the program Pastor Bill Elif who is the pastor, uh, who's a, who is the founding and national engaged pastor of the Summit Church in North Little Rock, Arkansas. He's a conference speaker, uh, a writer. Uh, he is the director for One Cry, which is a nationwide call for spiritual awakening and the author of numerous books and other articles. Pastor Ellis, thank you for joining me here on the Hamilton Corner. Well, thank you, Abraham. Great to be on with you today. Oh, the pleasure is mine. I have to tell you, and I drew, I true, I do truly believe it will also be uh, the pleasure of 
uh, our listening audience here. Um, you've been in pastoral ministries for well over 50 years, 54 some odd years. And uh, our senior vice president, um, Buddy Smith, connected you and I together uh, because you and your wife, uh, 48 years, by the way, made the nine hour trip from North Little Rock, Arkansas, from Little Rock, Arkansas, over to Wilmore, Kentucky, uh, to be a firsthand witness and participant in what is going on at Asbury University. Is that right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, we went over. Uh, Abraham, we were we were college students in 1970 mm. when the the Asbury revival happened. Uh, and it touched our campus in Arkansas and dramatically affected my life. I mean, we were in a day where all the classes were canceled and, and, uh, the Lord just came in power. It, you know, it was a, a amazing thing and it put a taste in our mouth for the manifest presence of God. And uh, what I came to understand is his works of revival and of spiritual awakening that we've never gotten over. And so I've just been a student of that for years. I've mm. been involved in it and helping to promote that and help pastors and leaders understand kind of how op- God operates, because this is a this is a normal pattern for God. You know, every 30 mm. to 60 years, he spent sent a nation, nationwide spiritual awakening that's given a course correction to not only his church, but to nations, you know, and to our nation. So when we heard that it had broken out again, um, Wednesday, uh, we just looked at each other and said, let's go and went to the call and spent several days there just observing firsthand and participating and seeing what God is doing and it it's it's really amazing and I think highly significant what's happening. Let's let's take a couple steps back because you because when you you said um, when we heard what was happening, there's some people who are listening to us right now who are not aware of what's going on at mm-hmm. Asbury. Um, so would you describe for the listeners uh, what is happening there and then how what is happening there came to your attention? That ultimately led to you and your wife yeah. making the trip from Arkansas to Wilmore, Kentucky. Yeah, well, last Wednesday, Asbury is a small college, uh, 1,700 students in a small town. That's all there is really in the town, in Wilmore, Kentucky. And they have chapel every uh, three times a week. And on Wednesday, uh, they were having their normal chapel and the Lord just began moving, and the pastor that was speaking invited the students, if you want to experience the Lord more and you, you're hungry for him, just stay after, you know. Well, only about 20 students stayed, and they gathered around the front and began to sing and worship and pray, cry out, repent. And the crowd started growing, and mm. uh, a little while later, there were hundreds of students and then that went into the night and through the night and the next day and the auditorium would just, you know, at various times of day, just fill up. And, and, uh, and they, they recognized uh, because of their history, God was doing something extraordinary. That chapel service has never stopped. Mm. It's to this still day. going on today. Mm. Yeah. So that's, so it's been seven days and now uh, the the auditorium 
is packed by the time but by the end of the weekend when I was there the it was standing room only in the 1500 seat auditorium you couldn't get into the foyer now they've opened up uh as Asbury seminaries right across the street they've opened up two more auditoriums and Asbury Seminary. Both of those are full. Mm-hmm. People are on the lawn listening to speakers. They're they're asking churches to open their doors. And uh and and students are coming from colleges all around the country and going back to their colleges. And we're already hearing now reports in multiple universities of similar similar outbreaks of revival and just extended prayer, uh, repentance, and uh, and so I, I, you know, just studying revival all my life and praying for it and recognizing the last eight or ten years that I, I felt like we were on the on the cusp of another move of God and that all the signs were there for that, particularly the the dark situation in our nation, which is always when revival happens. Mm. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to see it firsthand. And I, I, and what I discovered was it's very real. The presence of God is just amazingly thick. It's not some kind of, you know, walk through the door and you can't breathe and the, you know, lights are going off and <laughs> some fantastical thing. It's just this quiet, beautiful, worshipful, prayerful movement of God that just is not stopping. And the altar is full with with people who are meeting with the Lord. The the leaders at Asbury are very wise, and so they're giving leadership very very carefully and very prayerfully. But how they're doing it is not well. This is the order of service. It's let's listen to the Lord. What's next, Father? What do you want to do? And they'll step up to the microphone and say. Uh, we we sense that we need to just open up some microphones and for you to come give testimony. And there'll be a hundred people that come to the microphone and just start telling, I got saved. Uh, I was delivered from this in the last 48 hours, you know, mm. et cetera. I, I was raped and have been bitter. and God has delivered me from it. I mean, just mm. one after another, after another. And, and then they have, they've had worship teams just, of students that would mm-hmm. come up and lead for maybe three hours, uh, interspersed with things, you know, but just this simple worship, just guitar and piano and two or three singers and the very spontaneous, uh, but, uh, it's, it's a really beautiful and, and significant move. And, and this is what happened in 1970. I was a part of it. So I recognize this. The, in, in 1970, when this happened at Asbury, uh, the week after seven days of of in the Lord's presence, uh, they sent, uh, I, if I remember correctly, it was a thousand students in teams of two or or ten or whatever to uh, 130 different campuses. And everywhere they went, revival broke out. Mm. And and this was, when you look back at the Jesus movement, this was one of the highly catalytic um, events that occurred that began the Jesus movement, which was an extraordinary movement of God. Now, I have a couple questions, but I want to mention for those who are listening, just so you can know, 
Uh, Pastor Elif has written about this, and so far I've, I've been able to read three of his uh, blog entries on his website at BillElif.org. Uh, and I know one so far has been posted by AFA at the stand. If you go to AFA.net, it's a link to the blog from uh, Pastor Elif's um, site. Um, but you, you, you mentioned, and I have two questions, but I guess mm-hmm. let's take them one at a time. So you mentioned students have come to Asbury from other campuses around the country, right? Do we know about how many right. campuses or colleges or school universities well, that have students that have arrived there at, at Asbury? Yeah, as of yeah, as of Monday morning, they reported twenty-two different campuses had come, and I was there. They would, they would, they would say once or twice a day, hey, if if you're a group of students and you're here and you're leaving, come to the altar. We want to commission you. Mm. Well, the altar would fill up. It'd be a group of 10 here, a group of 10 here, a group of five here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know of several other campuses that I know of personally that students are going. Mm. And of course, people are just flocking from everywhere. You know, I was I, I was leaving the hotel on Monday morning, which is right there on campus. And a guy was standing at the, uh, at the uh, desk. And I said, are you checking in? And he said, yeah. I said, well, I have, I have two extra nights and I can't get a refund from the travel company. I said, why don't you just take my room? And the gal behind the desk said, that's awesome. And I said, where are you from? He said, well, I drove 10 hours from Toronto. Mm. And I said, well, I drove 10 hours from Little Rock, Arkansas. And it's just like, it's like moths to a flame. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think we're so desperate mm-hmm. for revival that when it breaks out, everybody who who's hungry for that just wants to go, you know, yeah. and then that's how it spreads. That's how revival spread. That's how every great revival is spread is, is by the testimony of people who've experienced it. Now, I've said on this program repeatedly that America's most great and desperate need is not a thriving economy, is not um, pharmaceutical sales relief or uh, cross state lines, health insurance. I'm the greatest and most desperate need is repentance. That is what we yeah. need more than anything yeah. in our nation. Uh, you mentioned that mm. the, the, the things that were happening in our nation sh- showed you that we were on the cusp of a move of God Um what what were the things that indicated to you that we were on a cusp of uh, something from God happening like this? Several years ago, I was reading about reading about John the Baptist in Luke three. It hit me that revival is when God manifests Himself. That word "manifest" means real, visible. In the eighteen fifty seven revival, it's the Denver Post with a front page headline, all churches close for prayer every day at noon. Well, that's that's God manifesting himself. Even mm-hmm. the secular people see something's happening. Well, <clears throat> the greatest manifestation ever was Jesus. Mm-hmm. The Word of God became flesh. We saw his glory. What did God do in preparation for Jesus? He sent John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. And I began to study that, and I noticed five or six things that happened. There was a voice. Uh, John said, I'm just a voice, and he had a message. It was a message of repentance and coming judgment. 
there was uh, increased spiritual activity. All the people in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria were going out to see John the Baptist. Uh, There was desperation. It says in that passage that uh, all the the, uh, religious leaders were saying, what shall we do? The, The soldiers were saying, what shall we do? The people were saying, what shall we do? Abraham, I've heard that question a thousand times in the last five years. Look what's happening to America. What shall we do? Well, we don't know what to do. There's not. There's no remedy. So this desperation grows, and then when that happens, a cry erupts. You read this. All this is a cycle all through Scripture. We were walking with God. We fall away. God brings uh, judgment and discipline. And then you'll read this little phrase in Scripture, and all the people cried out. Mm. I've, I've studied that. I've written a book on it. I, there's no uh, place in Scripture I can find when people humbly and repentantly cried out that God did not answer mm. with the reviving of his church and then ultimately spiritual awakening among the lost. This has been happening and in increasing. There's, there's been an unprecedented movement of prayer. It's happened across America. Dave Butts, who's who's on a team, he just passed away. He was the head of the National Prayer Committee. And a year or so ago, he told me, he said, uh, he said, we believe we can prove that more people are praying right now in America than at any time in America's history. Hmm. Well, that is revival. That 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 is that is we're prayerless. And when the church starts praying, that's a that's a turn. Mm. That's a humility. That's a brokenness. That's a repentance that's beginning to happen. So all of this has been happening, and God is raising up voices. You know, 15 years ago, you couldn't stir up a conversation about revival. Now everybody I know is using that term. Mm. So all of these things have been building, and I've been saying, and others have been saying, it's it's like there's gas on the on the floor and and it just needs a match and one other thing i'd say and i'll pause is the desperate situation in our nation mm-hmm. these are the times that revival is most needed mm-hmm. but it's the time when we get most desperate and we cry out and god in his mercy answers and i think the lord lets us go in our own way and until we see how wicked it is when we're in charge mm. and we begin to turn back to him and cry out and then he comes in power. Mm. Now I'm going to ask a question. I think we got about a, a minute or so to, to the break. So I'll, okay. I'll start the question and the music is disrespectful. So <laughs> it won't allow you to answer. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Invariably, as has been throughout history, uh, the history of the Lord's church, even recorded in the scripture for us, when God does things, there will be critics. I want to ask you now, and you you won't don't you won't have to start start your answer now. But when we come back from the break, I'd like to pick up with your answer. What would you say to those who are from a distance? Because I haven't heard anybody who's been there up close and personal criticizing what's happening in Wilmore, Kentucky. But what would you say to those who are from a distance criticizing what is happening there, condemning it, uh, kind of discounting it? What would you say to those people, and what would you say to the listeners in light of your response to those people? That is the question I have for you. You're listening to the Hamilton Corner, ladies and gentlemen. My guest is Pastor Bill Elliff, and we're discussing... 
the outpouring of God's Spirit at Asbury University. The Hamilton Quarter Podcast and one-minute commentaries are available at AFR.net. Back to the Hamilton Quarter on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the Hamilton Corner. Abraham Hamilton III here. Pastor Bill Elif, pastor of National Engage at the Summit Church in North Little Rock, Arkansas. Before we went to the break, I presented my question to Pastor Elif because many people um, are asking this question. And generally speaking, I, too, am very cautious and hesitant when I hear about things like this. Um, But because... um, I believe in a very enormous, omnipotent God. I'm very hesitant to decry some of these things. So caution, yes, but not decrying what very well seems to be a move of God. So I asked you before the break, uh, what would you say to those who from a distance are criticizing what is transpiring at Asbury? And I say from a distance because I have not yet heard anybody who's been there who have said anything other than what you're saying, that this seems to be a genuine outpouring of the Spirit of God. What would you say to those who are criticizing what's happening at Asbury from a distance? Well, I, I think that's a great question, Abraham, because the critics are always come. And I've, I've seen them on social media the last days. Uh, I'd have to say, from walking out of Hughes Auditorium in Asbury, and the humility and and grace that's there, and then hearing the almost pharisaical comments of so many, the contrast is startling. Mm. And and I would say, and I, I understand, you know, I'm a very cautious. I, 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 I the Bible says test the spirits. The Bible says don't quench the spirit. Uh, you know, discern. Mm-hmm. Uh, examine everything carefully, you know, throw out the bad, hang on the good. I get all that. And I think that's important, but I think it's also, we, we can pop off pretty quick, uh, out of our background and say some things that have no, no biblical or spiritual, uh, backing behind them. So I would say to somebody who, who says, well, this is just not of God, you know, number one, don't get your information about what's happening from Facebook. Mm. So I, I, I heard things, I read things on Facebook. This is happening. This is happening. They, none of that was happening. Mm. I was there. What was happening was humility, repentance, uh, unceasing prayer, humble, quiet worship, uh, shepherding by very wise leaders, very biblical preaching every night. Somebody said, well, there's no no preaching. They've preached every single night. <laughs> and through the day, you know, many sermons, just 10 minutes, 20 minutes, but, but strong biblical preaching every night. Uh, I mean, again, what is not biblical about that? So I would say, if you want to really evaluate Asbury, number one, hold it up against Scripture. Mm. Look, look what happened in every great revival in biblical history, and and then and then really go to Asbury, listen to those who've been there, 
and hold them up together. And it, and I think you'll see that there's there's synonymous there. There's nothing honestly uh, fantastical or crazy or weird going on, at least up to this point that I've seen. And uh, it's just this strong, beautiful movement of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, I would say most people don't understand revival because they've never studied it. Mm. They, they don't know their revival history. You know, some, some guy that might be a great fan of Jonathan Edwards as a great theologian don't understand that he was the heart at the heart of the First Great Awakening when at the end of that awakening, he said about Northampton, where he served, we can't find a single adult that's not converted. Mm. <clears throat> there were strong emotional moments, so much so that he, he wrote an account about the surprising works of God and, and the affections of revival, uh, you know, dealing with those things. So, in other words, he was there, and he's probably the greatest theological mind we've ever produced in America. And so we've, you know, every 30 to 60 years, the First Great Awakening, 1735 to 42, Second Great Awakening beginning in the 1800s, the Prayer Revival, 1857-58, in which a million people came to faith in Christ out of a population of 30 million the Welsh Revival, which dramatically affected America and literally spread around the world, and then the Jesus Movement of the 70s, which most of us and historians would say was was quenched, by and large, by, by the American church because we didn't like hippies and guitars, and uh, a lot of the churches resisted that, that movement. But more—I'm Southern Baptist—more— uh, students were baptized in 1970 and 71 than any time before or since. Mm. It's the greatest evangelistic moment in Southern Baptist life. That was the Jesus movement. Mm. So, I, you know, if you don't if you don't like people being saved and in 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 rapid ways, in the first Great Awakening, 15 percent of the population of America came to faith in Christ. Now, if if you thought about that with Dallas-Fort Worth, there's 8 million people, uh, that would be 1.2 million people coming to faith in Christ in the next couple of years mm. if revival came. Wow. And you just think about that. And that's how many that is per month. In the, in the 1857 revival, and this is all documented, during the height of that revival, 10,000 people a month were coming to faith in Christ and joining the church. And J. Edwin Orr, one of the greatest historians we have, uh, documents this very carefully. Well, see, we have no concept for that, and so we, we see something happening, and we say, well, that's just—and we've seen aberrations. You know, we, mm -hmm. we've seen little movements that come up, and they're crazy and weird things, and and they're not biblical things, and so we say, "Well, that's Asbury's just like that." I'm mm -hmm. just telling you, it's not. Mm -hmm. And this mm -hmm. has all the earmarks of what has happened in the past that has been a legitimate uh, work of God, and the rapid expansion of it. Jonathan Edwards says in in Awakenings, the the uh, 
work of God is accelerated. Samuel Davies, of the, of, who was the president of Princeton and First Great Awakening, said uh, that uh, when humble preachers were preaching with no results, and he said, then the revival came. And he said, I, I watched the same men preach the same sermons, and 200 people in one service would be saved. Mm. And he, here's his statement. He said, the gospel became almighty and carried everything before it. Mm. Mm. How could we not want that? Mm. How could we not long for that? Why would we sit at our typewriters and make pot shots? And I, I, I just want to say to prognosticators what Gamaliel said. Just hold, hold your judgment for a minute. If this is not of God, it'll fade away. If mm-hmm. it is of God, you maybe find find yourself fighting against him. Mm. Mm. Very well said. Um, I, man, mm. I have so many questions running through my mind um, at mm. this very moment. And so just so people can get a, a get clarity as to what's happening, Chapel happened last Wednesday, and there has mm-hmm. been since then continuous 24-hour-a-day nonstop worship, prayer, testimony provision, and as you mentioned, sermons in the evening every night, even, I mean, for a lot of people, Yes, uh, this past uh, yeah, yesterday Sunday was a big deal with the Super Bowl. Even in the face of the Super Bowl, you have this continuing in Wilmore, Kentucky. Is that right? I was I was in the room when the Super Bowl happened Sunday mm. night. Mm. Nobody left. Mm. I, in fact, they took a small break for supper and came back, and the crowds accelerated. Mm. People couldn't get in the room. And I thought, nobody in here is even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody cares. It's not even on the radar. And if they thought about it, they think, how? why would I leave the presence of God mm. to go watch a ball game, you know? Mm. Now, you— Pretty amazing. And it, it, it is absolutely amazing. And, and you uh, have written in your three blog article series so far about what's happening in, in um, Asbury um, some mm-hmm. advice— and and the thing that I enjoy that your voice sounds to me just the way I imagine it would sound from reading your words in print. Uh, you have such a a gentleness, such a humility, and a genuine desire. I can hear it. I can a genuine uh, love for the Lord. I I, I feel like uh, you have been praying for years in this way, and the Lord has allowed mm. you to see this. And it, I, that's just what I, I sense from talking to you. Uh, but you give some what I, I believe to be wise counsel for people endeavoring to uh, shepherd the Lord's flock in the midst of something like this, uh, things like guarding your heart and and uh, don't not exaggerating. Don't lie about what's happening. Exaggeration is lying. Would you just share some of that uh, with the listeners now? Well, I put that out on a piece today, uh, and it's on our blog site. I, th- I think Buddy said it will be put up on the AFR blog it site will. at some it, point. It will, yes. Um but I just mentioned, because one other piece of this, Abraham, in 2011, in our church, uh, we were deeply seeking the Lord. And one Sunday, I was preaching on the quenching of the Holy Spirit, and halfway through my message, the Lord said to stop, and God just came into the room. I don't know how to describe it. That service went 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. We came back the next night, and the room was packed. 
And this was all unplanned. And that went for three or four hours. We said, let's come back. We can't stop. Let's come back the next night. Each night we'd say, should we go ahead? That went on for five solid weeks Mm. every night except Saturday. So, and I stood at the microphone and and kind of shepherded the microphone as, as did some of our other pastors and elders and in our church. And, uh, so I was in, I've been in uh, this environment. I've traveled for several years with life action ministries. It's devoted to revival and awakening. So, uh, I, I, you know, what's interesting is when I walked into Hughes auditorium, what was happening was almost identical in its spirit and components to what we experienced in 2011. Mm. And uh, so, I, you know, this is why, you know, today I pulled, we have multiple locations of our church, and I pulled our five lead pastors. And I said, okay, strap your belt on and get, <laughs> get ready. What, what would you do if tomorrow, if Sunday God just broke in? And how would you how would you shepherd this? So that's why I wrote this blog because I have pastors from all over the country calling me saying, "Bill, what do I do? How do I see what's happening in Asbury? How do I cooperate with this?" So I mentioned on the blog ten things that that just just thoughts, just helpful, hopefully helpful thoughts to how to let the the spirit of God lead. In other words, I've watched these leaders at Asbury and. They're very much leading, but they're on the side and they're praying and they're asking the Lord, "What what do we do next?" And He tells them, and and they move to the next segment. The Holy Spirit is a really good leader, mm-hmm. <laughs> and if we just let Him, they're 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 being conduits to facilitate God, the head of the church, leading His church. So that's mm-hmm. very important. And then guarding your own heart, I I. The, the quickest way to quench the movement of God is pride. And when God starts moving, you have 200 people saved in your church in a week. The great tendency is to say, yeah, we did this, I mm. did this. And, and God says, okay, if you're going to steal the glory from me, I'm going to go down the street. Mm. So uh, you really have to guard against pride and exaggerating, which is which is just lying, which is all intended to bring greater glory to yourself. I think I think in times like this, we need to let the body speak. Uh, in other words, they, very wisely at Asbury, they've opened the microphone at times. Well, that's when you hear the story. You, just, you don't know what all is going on at that altar. I hate to and break in on you. Started. I hate to break in on you, but okay. the, but the, no the program problem. is about to end. But is up. we have about 20 seconds. Would you mind just praying? for our nation as we close out the program today? I would love to. Father, we're so grateful. We prayed for this for decades. Lord, we ask that you would continue your work, Lord, and make spread and accelerate so that millions of people would be rapidly brought into your kingdom and the church would be revived. We ask that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Bill. Mm-hmm. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. Faith.